Greetings, listeners in Listenerland. Welcome to St. Louis in Tune with Arnold Stricker and Mark Langston, where we size up current and historic events involving people, places, and things in areas such as the arts, crime, education, employment, faith, finance, food, government, health, history, housing, humor, justice, and sports. We originate from the Gateway City and connect to what's going on locally, regionally, nationally, internationally, and galactically. Yes, I'm glad you put the galactical stuff in there. <laughs> <laughs> where, where no radio show has gone before. Nope, nope. They'll be listening to us on the moon, I think, when they finally start moving in up there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see the moving in truck when it gets over there. <laughs> We're moving in. Moon, move, moon and in truck. The moon. Oh, there you go. The moon and in truck. Okay. <laughs> oh, brother. We have a wonderful guest today. We do. Amanda Doyle was on several weeks ago talking about the Missouri Book Festival. And she yes. came back. She came, yeah. yeah. She didn't get lost out in Washington out there where that took place. I left breadcrumbs. I, it was fine. We talked with her. Yeah. When she was here, this book was just coming out, and it is hot off the press. Matter of fact, it's still warm in my hands. It's called The Tower Grove Park, Common Ground and Grateful Shade Since 1852. Wow. And it is the 150th anniversary of Tower Grove Park, and welcome back, Amanda. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I know I'm so excited. I know how to find this place now. I was like, I know where I'm going. Last yeah. time I was a little uh, unsure. Yeah. The breadcrumbs, that actually paid off. Yeah, I, I need a lot of bread to get through my day. But yeah. yeah, We are blessed with so many wonderful parks here in the St. Louis area, specifically the St. Louis City area. Yeah. And Tower Grove Park, Forest Park gets a lot of the main attention. <laughs> But there's Fairgrounds, there's Tower Grove, there's Carondelet, which are more of the bigger parks. And Tower Grove has some unique kind of history, which I don't want to say elevates it to a different level than the other ones that I've mentioned. Oh, but... I'm going to say it because okay. I wrote a book about it. It elevates it to a different level. No shade to Forest Park, which is amazing in right. its own right. But if you want to look for something really unique, actually... Forest Park is awesome. It's bigger than Central Park. We should just say that. You Absolutely. Have constitutionally have to say that every time you bring it up. Um, but there are other large urban parks that kind of do some of the same things that it does. There is not another park like Tower Grove Park anywhere in the country. It's the by far the finest remaining example of a Victorian walking park. Although at the time that it was created, it was a driving park, but it, driving meant your horse and carriage. Yeah, so it's just got, it's fascinating to me. I've lived three blocks south of the park for 25 years <laughs> and did not really know much about it until I started working on this Except book. Except maybe playing kickball or? Sure, a little bit of beer league softball. I knew it used <laughs> to be Henry Shaw's land. When my kids were born, I knew that I could haul them over there at six in the morning to the playground. Right. But yeah, just finding out meant to St. Louis and the background of it has been a great joy. Going to some of the history of the founding, because many people, they know Henry Shaw's name, the Shaw arboretum area there and what's going on but how he really set this apart and how he set it apart to the point where there was a time for the Missouri Supreme Court where there was a little fisticuffs yeah. my words but take us through a little history of the founding of the park absolutely so Henry Shaw is globally known for founding the Missouri Botanic Garden he was he was an import just like me so I like that as well he came from England to St. Louis and he made his fortune selling dry goods and hardware and stuff to people who were headed out west from here. And so he effectively retired when he was 40. He said he'd made all the money that he could imagine anybody would ever need. Wow. And so he turned his attentions and his money to creating 
these two institutions we have today. So the garden, of course, is very well known and has a great worldwide reputation for botany and for everything else. He always intended that there would be a companion to the garden that would be this public park because he once he retired he did the the grand tour of England and Europe and other places mm-hmm. in the world which is what fancy people did then and I guess fancy people still do now <laughs> and he saw these gardens they were called it's funny some of the languages now sounds funny to us but they were called pleasure grounds which now sounds a little rape. These like nobility would have these private gardens around their estates or they would have hunting grounds and they were just these very well thought out planned things. So he wanted that for St. Louis. He thought St. Louis was the next up and coming city of the world and it needed these kind of amenities. And so he wanted to create a very large, he looked to examples in Paris and to England, but his was gonna be different because he, from the very beginning, wanted it explicitly to be open to everybody, any kind of class of person, laborers, wealthy people who owned everything, people who owned nothing. And there's just great language and sort of his descriptions of right, it too right. about that. And parks became a place in the summertime when things were hot, people would go to the park because you didn't have a lot of the heat as much as you did. People from... slept in the park. Right. And it was at the time you were mentioning the Missouri State Supreme Court and the legislature were all involved when he donated the land for the park. He gave it to the city of St. Louis, but the land that's Tower Grove Park was not in the city at that time. So the state legislature had to pass a special law to let the city accept this gift. And then later on, return to the state happened. Over the years, many people have tried to encroach on the land and have different ideas about what it should be used for. And in the 50s and 60s, there was actually a proposal to put a highway through the park. And it ended up going all the way to the Missouri Supreme Court, who read his will again, which had been the park's defense the whole time. And his will basically says, can't ever be anything but a park. All for park use all the time. And they said, that's pretty clear. <laughs> yeah, that um, sounds like Highway 44. Oh, yeah. gee, we have this cleared land. Let's We won't have to knock these houses down or buy them. And we'll just have to go right through the middle of the park. I can't believe they would want to do that. You know, it's funny. I read a lot of like letters to the editor and op-eds at the time. And it was very much a, a business argument. Like, we are a city that's growing People need to, businessmen need to be able to get in their cars in Holly Hills and quickly get to their offices downtown and this will save them three minutes, which of course now sounds just ridiculous in a way. But a growing city, you have different factions who want different things. And so I think it's probably everyone's, uh, to everyone's benefit that they didn't prevail, but, but there was a lot of, a lot of people wanted it. And even some of the neighborhood associations around the park, most of them were pretty against it, and they sent people to testify and write letters, mm-hmm. but there were people who were all for it. Wow. And yeah. we all know that those highways, 44 and 55, destroyed a lot of old St. Louis neighborhoods. Absolutely. And displaced a lot of people. Yeah. Now, what are some of the original buildings or pavilions that, if we go down there right now, we can still see that we're right at the time when the park was founded. So when the park opened in 1872, all of the pavilions that are there now, except the one called the Stone Shelter, which is in the western side of the park, but all of the like ones that you think of that are painted and beautiful, they were all there. They, wow. they, he started out with them all. So you have the Turkish Pavilion, which is probably the most familiar. It's the red and mm-hmm. white candy striped one, although it looked different. We can talk about that. The There was a carriage shelter where people could pull their horses and carriages in to park while they walked around and promenaded and their horses would be in the shade. This is something funny too that I didn't realize until I started looking into this. The names we have for them today is not what they were called. They were just numbered then. They didn't have like mm-hmm. names, but so there's the Chinese Pavilion, 
which was capitalizing. Victorians were crazy for chinoiserie, any kind of Asian or what they called Oriental influence at the time was quite popular. So the Chinese pavilion was built as this sort of exotic import to the park. And then Humboldt North and South, Cypress North and South, Sons of Rest is the really big one on the east side, down by where Festival of Nations usually is mm-hmm. centered. Yeah, so they were all there. And that area where there's like a tea room there right now, you can go get some brunch on Sunday. Oh, yes. The Piper Palm House. Piper Palm House. Yes. It was built as a, so the Palm House, this was another Victorian rage, was having these overwintering tropical plants, orange trees and things like that would not survive in the winter here. So the Palm House is where they got stuck in the winter. So the Palm House was like a a warm, a warm place to keep the tropical stuff in the winter. It was a hot house for the plants. Now, is that where the stables are located too? Stables are just a little bit. So the Palm House is on right to one side of what they call Center Cross Drive, which is the main drive through the middle the stables are just to the other side of that okay i've a never bit, seen those a little bit you know what's funny i went many years of visiting the park without ever seeing the stables and then one day i came across them they're on the opposite side north of the tennis courts okay and now i'm like how did i miss that all these yeah. years because i see them all the time but yeah, i never knew there were stables there they, the stables were actually one of the first buildings built because you had to have horses and mules to build all the rest of this stuff right, so right. the stables and a residence for the stable keeper were among the first things completed in the park now were the the streets that we know right now were those like cobblestone or were they just dirt or they were dirt at the beginning okay. they were carriage paths and grand avenue actually at that time was also dirt okay. <laughs> and henry shaw and the park commissioners were really imploring the city leaders to, it's not paving it, they called it macadamizing. Macadam is like this gravelly kind of surface. They were pushing them to do that to Grand to continue to enable people to get out there. And actually Henry Shaw offered to donate a bunch of trees to landscape Grand. He really wanted to make the uh, the approach to the park more inviting. And that when the park was originated, he didn't have all of the land. And so the city had to purchase some other land from other homeowners and one of the shodos was i think there was a little strip yeah there were little tiny pieces that weren't part of it there was a strip the biggest piece was called the Payne tract p-a-y-n-e owned for owned by mr Payne, i believe that was along the northwest side so there's there's a brick house there now there are not that many residences in the park but there's a brick house that sits alone on magnolia right that's what that's within what was called the Payne tract it got added a little bit later okay but a lot of it was henry shaw acquired it over the years it was laid out it was it was this is the other thing that blows my mind before henry shaw started developing the park that was a treeless prairie (laughs) really there were no trees there because it was french common fields they were using it for agriculture that's almost incredible to think about absolutely incredible isn't it wow and so there, there are the, all these sort of lore and stories about he planted, he personally planted 20,000 trees and stuff, which is wow. probably not true, but no. he planted... It's Johnny Appleseed. But yeah. No, he'd yeah. still be planting. Henry Shaw seed. Um, <laughs> yeah. But he planted thousands and thousands of trees. Henry Shaw seed. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. So next time you're complaining about your yard work... Just think, at least I don't have to plant 300 acres of trees from no, nothing. Kidding. And all those trees look pretty mature. Yeah, they do. So they must have got after it a long time ago. There are a lot. There are some. There's also another sort of cult of people who try to figure out, like, which ones are original trees. And <laughs> it's very hard to tell. But there are some pockets of trees that they think are original to the park. Some oh. of the Osage oranges that are there. And there's a couple of others. So the park has a whole staff of, like, botanists and arborists who know everything about all the trees. Yeah, let's talk about that because I think... I think it's a park that shows off 
botany in a different way that most parks don't. In other words, if you go to Forest Park, like you said, Carondelet or Fairground, Fair, Fairground really doesn't have a lot of hardly anything in it. And mm-hmm. Carondelet is kind of, okay, there's a park, there's a little, what I'm going to call a pond yep. there. <laughs> there. It's nice to bike around. When you go to Forest Park, it's got Forest Park forever taking care of it. It's got some main attractions from the World's Fair. But you come down here to Tower Grove and you see a variety of plants, color, different trees. Is this part of the legacy that that he left and he said, you have to maintain this? And then who really does maintain that? Does the city yeah. or there's no forest? Is there a Tower Grove Park Forever group? or There's the, the Friends of Tower Grove Park. Yes. Okay. Yes. So the park was developed with a very specific aesthetic and I love I like I would have been a terrible Victorian because you had to get really invested in points of view and fight about them and I'm just like I don't know I guess today I would just be what I'd just be fighting on the radio I'd be sharing my opinions all the time anyway (laughs) that's what we do on radio right yeah I'm right right. you're wrong no yeah you're Um, right so so the style (laughs) (laughs) the style is called garden-esque And it was sort of a developing idea in landscape architecture at the time. So it was somewhere between a very formal garden where you would have topiaries carved into animals and what we think of like Versailles or somewhere. It was not that manicured, but it was also not the other big style at the time was picturesque, which was supposed to look like just like if you imagined a nature landscape painting, like the perfect stream and little soft flowers and all. So garden-esque was supposed to show off nature Hmm. and nature was the queen but show the human hand a little bit Hmm. so like humans helping nature perfect itself Hmm. and one of the ways that shaw wanted to show garden-esque style was to have one of the big things in garden-esque garden or landscape design is specimen trees so like you have this one say amazing white oak and you want to give it space around it so that people can admire it from Mm -hmm. all sides Mm -hmm. and also every condition to let it grow to its like perfect form something i never knew until i rode in a golf cart around tower grove park with one of the (laughs) one of the people who runs the crew there you see these rooms where there's like a tree or some kind of planting in the middle and then a lot of space around it and then there'll be some other stuff outside that but it's literally an outdoor room so that you can come into it and feel like you've got walls behind you that are other things but you're there to admire this one thing in the center interesting and now Hmm. that i know that i see it everywhere in the park i look and i'm like oh right you can see now the park is 150 years old so is it still meticulously that way no because the other thing i talk about a lot in the book is how the park has always reflected what's going on in the city and the country so there have been times when there wasn't money (laughs) for landscape maintenance and there have been times when there weren't like professional arborists available. And so when a tree died, they'd be like, great, let's put in another tree. Here's one. So there haven't always been people paying strict attention to it. Right. But that definitely was an intent. And what we see today is still because Shaw was very meticulous about everything he ever did. The man had the receipt for every piece of gum he ever bought. And wow. they are in the archives at the Missouri Botanical Garden. Wow. <laughs> so wow. he had a vision. He had people who, like, even after his death, who really understood it and carried it out. And I think the current park administration has one of their goals is to really get back as close as possible to what Shaw's vision was within an urban park that is well used by 21st century people. But right. but yeah, a lot of it. And so those plants, like you're talking about the flowers and the beautiful displays that they have there. Right. Yes. And the, the water lilies, those lilies is like somebody's whole job to propagate them and to understand them and to know what they need. And um, that's paid for by the friends of Tower Grove Park so, versus the city paying for that. Yeah, the city, Tower Grove Park is set up completely outside of the city government. Shaw was okay. not real. He was smart. <laughs> <laughs> he was 
not real big on local fiefdoms. He saw how that could go wrong. He, he was smart. He had a lot of he had a lot of foresight. Yeah. So he set it up separately. It's run by a board of trustees. Okay. Who I don't think this is still exactly the case. Originally, the tr- the trustees all the commissioners they're called. I'm sorry, had to be appointed by the state the Supreme Court. Now they just have to be approved. I think they get nominated and basically if there's not a problem they get approved. But it, it it's still approved by the Supreme Court. Yeah, wow. by the state. So they they exist outside of city government, outside of city parks. But city owns the land. The city owns the land because it was donated to them, yes. And the city has always contributed from the beginning. They had an agreement. I think the beginning it was, if I'm remembering correctly, it's in the book. I think it was $25,000 a year that they had to appropriate every year for park stuff. And of course, quickly they were like, oh, also that's not enough. So the city does work with the park. And I think at times they do, but they have their own Right. private staff dedicated to the park. So where do they come up with the money? Wow. Let's all join the Friends of Tower Grove Park, probably wow. part of it. I'm, I'm not quite sure where it all comes okay. from. It's probably honest. very similar to Forest Park Forever. I know that they do get, they have money from corporations. That they, and things. Yes, yeah. they get donations. Mm-hmm. They also do like cooperative. They have a great partnership now with the Missouri Department of Conservation who do conservation work in the park and do education programs. And so I don't, I'm not sure who, who's on the winning financial end of that, but they do partner with other groups. And that's a great point that you bring up, Amanda, because we all, if you visit the park and if you use the park, being a member of the Friends of Tower Grove Park is something that you should do. Yeah. Because you're use, utilizing the service. You're visually taking in what somebody else has provided for you to enjoy the beauty of the park and that it's not overgrown and all right. those kinds of things right. like that. That's yeah, a really important thing. And like I said, I've lived there for quite a while and it's never looked better in the time that I've been near the park. It's amazing. And they have so many facilities and there are so many great things that happen in the park, like active things and just passive use of the park. And I think it's been interesting during the pandemic when, first of all, everyone was home (laughs) all Uh. the time and then people wanted to be outside, but not close to other people. And so the park was like exploded in terms of use. And they have really done a lot of great things since then that for a while they had a lot of the roads closed off because they wanted people to have enough space to be able to space out. That was so popular that they now have a rotating schedule of they have the East End roads closed a couple of days each month, I think. And same with the because people got used to it and realized like and now so many people still are at home working at home. And you see now people I see people all the time out there. I know they're on Zoom calls and they're walking around. They've got their headphones in walking their dog while they're on a call. So, yeah, I remember that I usually come into the park from the Grand side. And I one time I entered off the King's Highway side and I was like, wow, I didn't know what I was missing. Where There's am stuff I? down here that I hadn't even seen before. It's amazing how many little, and it's funny because people all have their own like favorite place in the park. Mm-hmm. It might be someplace you've never even seen because right. there's a lot there. So We're going to take a brief time out here. We're going to come back and talk with Amanda Doyle about the book that she wrote which is called Tower Grove Park, Common Ground, and Grateful Shade since 1872. You know, each time that we plan a show for St. Louis In Tune, we strive to bring you informative, useful, and reflective stories, as well as interviews about current and historic issues and events that involve people, places, and things. And while St. Louis In Tune originates from the Gateway City and covers local topics, we also connect what's going on nationally as well. Our topics cover a wide range of arts, crime, education, employment, 
faith, finance, food, health, history, housing, humor, justice, sports, and that's just to name a few. We know there's many radio stations, programs, even podcasts that you could be listening to, and we're glad that you've chosen to listen to St. Louis In Tune. If you've missed any of our previously aired programs of St. Louis In Tune, simply visit stlintune.com. That's STL intune.com there you'll find every show from our first to our most current use the search engine to look for a show that might interest you from one of the many topics that we've covered and drop us a line and tell us how we're doing you can do that at stlintune at gmail.com that's stlintune at gmail.com st louis in tune heard monday through friday on the usradionetwork.com and many great radio stations around the U.S. and, of course, right here in St. Louis. And don't forget, check out our website, stlintune.com. That's stlintune.com. Welcome back to St. Louis in Tune. This is Arnold Stricker with Mark Langston. We're having a conversation with Amanda Doyle. She's the author of the latest book that's still hot off the press tower grove park common ground and grateful shade since 1872 and tower grove park is 150 years old it was the first large park in st louis i didn't realize that thanks to henry shaw yeah thanks Henry. i have some henry shaw trivia you do a friend of mine moved into one of henry shaw's houses i guess he had a quite a few homes or really? something or build houses in st louis huh. and he always he protested taxes he never liked taxation <laughs> look at amanda's laughing and it's funny because they used to tax houses by windows really in the house it was the amount of windows so they tax it based on your window and one of the many of the henry shaw homes i think if you go and look at them because my friend had he would to, in protest he would brick up he'd make a window and brick it up and he put bricks in there and it would be there would be no window there, but it was it looked like it was a window hmm. from the outside. Interesting. Yeah, and I probably I, just didn't like taxes because of the paperwork. He like the pay. <laughs> yeah, right. Henry. Although he kind of liked paperwork, yeah. I think that's why. That's I found that old photo. That's the old photo of the Turkish pavilion. Amanda's showing me a photograph of the Turkish pavilion, and you were talking about a story about the Turkish pavilion. Yeah. So it today it's probably one of the two or three most identifiable places in the park if people see it they go oh right tower grove park it's that big red and white like circus looking large dome at the top and a big mm -hmm. overhang when it was built it didn't have all of those layers it was just the onion bulb at the top and a really? little spire on the top because it was built as a pigeon roost or dovecote they called it yeah so they had little openings at the top if you look still at it you wow. can see the little circles but it turns out that people don't want a picnic under a pigeon roost no it's kidding. unpleasant <laughs> yeah Let's just leave it at that. It didn't take too long before they plugged up the pigeonholes, cleaned out all the roof stuff, and expanded the and added on wow. to that roof line. So, that's interesting trivia. <laughs> that's just like what Mark was talking about his homes that built a house and you get taxed based upon the windows, so he bricked them up. <laughs> prove that, it's a window. You that, can't prove that, it. <laughs> that makes perfect sense to me. Now, one thing I noticed the last couple of years, there's been a lot of construction going on yep. in the park, and it 
relates to some stream. What's that all about? Yeah, the park has a relatively new master plan for kind of the projects that they're going to take on and develop. And the East Stream, they call it, is one of the first to be completed. So there has apparently historically always been a stream on the eastern edge of the park. That's the park park closest to Grand. In fact, I talked to somebody from the Missouri School for the Blind on Magnolia who said that the stream, there's a spring where they thought it originated that's under their gym on their property. And they said when they, before the rest of the buildings were built, that the stream was open for, the spring was open for a while. Wow. Anyway, so... There has always been water on that side of the park. And sometime in the early part of the 1900s, they think it was put underground, almost like River de Pere. And they think it was for sanitation reasons. So one of the goals of the master plan was to reactivate that end of the park a bit by bringing back the stream. They call it daylighting the stream, which is such a romantic language. I love it. But they're bringing it back to the surface. And so there are a lot of... um, bridges and crossover places on that side that have never gone over anything they're just over gravel right and now they will be overflowing water again and another really cool thing that east stream project allowed was bringing a conversation and a the development of an ongoing relationship with the osage nation which many of the people who are members of the modern day osage nation their ancestors were the ones who were on this land before Mm -hmm. that was tower grove park or before Mm -hmm. there were any europeans here Mm -hmm. they have been in partnership with the park to advise on things like plant, what kind of things to plant along the stream, mm. what plants would have been important mm. to their ancestors, what mm-hmm. would have been used for medicinal purposes and food and things like that. And they're also doing a little bit of interpretation along the stream to represent like what a village would have looked like. It's very abstract. I don't know if you would even realize it if mm-hmm. you see it, but they've used some stones and oriented them in a way that a village would have been laid out mm-hmm. just to bring that element back into the park. Going back to some history and reminding people with markers, whether it's Native American, mm-hmm. whether it's, matter of fact, I read some things where Native American, one Native American says, I want to, I'm an Indian. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, however you want to be called, that's yep. cool. Yep. But how even throughout the city that things buildings that have been knocked down or areas that have had some kind of historical significance to St. Louis, if there is nothing that identifies it, it gets lost. And this is really important that they want to say, hey, we had a village here, or this is what a village would have looked like around here because there was fresh water coming out. That's important. Yeah. Somebody asked me recently, actually, before even opening the book, do you talk about the, like, the Native people who were here before this? Mm -hmm. And the answer is not really, except talking about this relationship that's developing now. And part of it is availability of research. Like, I'm ignorant of that, and I don't have the, what I had to work with started with the park archives and went forward. Right. But also, the way that the Osage have been working with the park, they want to tell their own story. And the way that they want to tell it is the way they want to tell it. And so I do think that that is definitely a book that someone should write. I don't know that it should be me, but but it would be fascinating because everything about the development of the park goes right back to the, as I said, French people owned it as common fields before that. The French weren't born there either. So. Right, right. Now, did the Osage Nation contact the Friends of Tower Grove Park or Missouri Historical Society, or how did that kind of connection happen? It was turning some positive forward movement out of what was initially not a great interaction, which is that the park used to have a statue of Christopher Columbus, which it no longer has. The Osage Nation representatives were in conversation with the park around. That's how it first became like the current relationship got started. They wanted to be involved with the decisions about what happened to that statue. And since then, there's been an ongoing conversation between park staff and the Osage Nation about what can we do to keep 
moving this forward. Right. So good things can come out of good things not can so good things. Come out of controversy. Yep. That's, that's exactly the way things should happen. That we should be able to communicate with one another and talk with one another. Now, you did talk about the stream, the East Stream. Is that mm-hmm. correct? Stream. Yeah. And there are other improvements that are going to be taking place. Like I know the bandstand was, my words, remodeled or... Yep, bandstand's been refurbished. Another really big project that got completed actually last year was a complete renovation of the Turkish Pavilion and the old Playground Pavilion. They were structurally re-engineered, repainted, and both of them have been lit at night, which has mm. never happened before. Um, it's so funny because I drove. I was there the night that they turned on the lights and everything, and it was very cool. And then the next night I drove through, and you look, and you're like, right, hasn't it always been like that? Like, it just seems so natural, and right. it's beautiful, and it's so striking. So all of the pavilions outside of those two that have been redone could stand to have that done. They, they're made of wood and metal, and so they all need some work. As far as the master plan goes, there are other amenities that the park hopes to add, including a basketball court, which has been missing from the park for quite a while. Hmm. There's, I don't know if I'm going to get in trouble for talking about these, because they're all dependent on can they raise the money to do it but another cool thing that they want to do is called hammock hill and it's up again in that east end of the park at the park's highest point they wanted to install permanent poles that don't interfere with kind of the sight lines of the trees for people to be able to string up their hammocks because Mm -hmm. people during the pandemic were hammocking all over the park and they don't want them doing it on the trees because it could damage that we'll pick a tree that seems convenient it might not be great to have a hammock on yeah so that's something that that's in the works as well and the department of conservation partnership Part of that is that they completely overhauled on the King's Highway entrance, that little gatehouse that looks like a castle. Right. They've completely retrofitted that and brought it up to like modern standards. And that's going to be a visitor center and the headquarters for the Department of Conservation programs. Now, we've talked about botany and wow. Henry Shaw was really big with the botany. And we discussed off the air. So, folks, you didn't get a chance to hear this conversation. Yeah. But <laughs> that how if you've been to the Climatron and that in Henry Shaw's house and his gardens there, that this is like the big one, the big garden for the general public. Yeah. But there's, we've not talked about wildlife and I'm not talking about like softball t- teams with too much beer, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> lions and tigers and bears or softball oh teams my. with too much beer. Yeah. We're talking about butterflies. Probably we're talking about birds and huge birding population in the park. Actually the Northwest corner of the park closest to Kings highway and Magnolia is the Gaddy Memorial bird garden. It's maintained hmm. by the Webster Groves nature society. Do I have that, that right? I think that's what they're called. Sorry if it's not quite right. In partnership with Audubon and some other organizations. Okay. And people love to bird there because it's, they have a ton of trees, obviously. They leave trees in different states of maturity and even mm-hmm. trees that are dead that have cavities that some birds like. And they've added a little water feature over there. Oh, cool. They get red-tailed hawks. They get all kinds of owls. Really? They get, yeah. But people love to bird there because you, if you have any mobility challenges, you can literally pull your car up on a pathway get out and walk across a little flat place and you're in like this amazing birding spot. Wow. Never yeah. knew that was even there. I have I am not a birder, but I found out there are a lot of crazy birders. And by crazy birders, amazing people who let me use some of their awesome well, pictures and, of birds. And very and they do it all the time. It's something they that do it all the time and it's, love. it's a it's about habitat preservation. There's Look at that. Wow. Yeah, red tailed hawks. Here's people love on radio when you talk about things to look at, don't they? This is the worst thing ever. It's like TV, but no pictures. <laughs> but anyway, yes, they're, it's a conservation angle. They want to help maintain this in the middle of this urban area, this oasis of 289 acres that attracts migrating birds, that attracts, there are foxes in the park. Yeah. There are all kinds of critters. 
Yeah. And I, I just opened the book, and I have a, I'm looking at a bust of Beethoven mm-hmm. at the music stand, and it's, there, there are music busts of composers mm-hmm. all the way around that, yep. that thing. And then the bridges and the well house, there's a picture. So these bridges were there with the stream, and then they cut the stream off. Right. There's this, There's another stream that's a little bit to the west of the center drive of the park that's still there. Okay. That has a couple bridges over it as well. But yeah, the eastern one, this is its uh, grand reentry. And this book, listeners, is available through Reedy Press. It's ReedyPress.com. And Amanda goes into, you know, several chapters of the diversity of the birds in the botany of the pavilions and the houses and she has a a whole long section on the history of the park and then where the next 150 years are going to go where are they going to go amanda yeah i think the past couple of years have really shown people that access to nature is not just an amenity but it's a requirement Mm -hmm. of modern life which is very similar to when the park was founded the park was founded at a time when the industrial revolution was happening when st louis was a dirty city that made a lot of stuff and so part of the reason shaw wanted to see this park was to give people a place to get away from that to be outside of the bustle to breathe healthy air it's another reason he wanted it to be open to the public the people who most are in need of this kind of stuff maybe can't afford to pay for it or travel far to it and i think that's been it's full circle we're right back to that place where We have a lot of things that we do all the time that maybe aren't great for us. And to be able to connect it, this is a lot of people's nature. And you were mentioning Festival of Nations. I wanted to talk just for a second about the relationship between that, which is put on by the International Institution, Mm -hmm. the International Institute and the park. I talked to Anna Crossland, who was their executive director for many years. Mm -hmm. She talked about the importance of the park to the people they serve, the refugee populations that come here. And she said, a lot of these people are leaving war and trauma Mm. and places that were really debilitating and so they come here they're happy to be here often they are put in like they're living with their extended family in a smaller place than they were used to and so they have ptsd essentially right and so to have access to a place that is free of charge that there is nothing asked of you except to go and be there she said it's a healing place and so the international institute is not that far from tower grove park they use it all the time for for their clients that they serve. So that's another reason why Festival of Nations ended up there. But right. she said just on a daily basis for families to be able to access that is, is a healing force for them. Yeah, I, I enjoy riding the bike around the parks like that. It's therapy, and I always look for a specific place that's memorable. There's one in Carondelet Park where you're on a bridge, many like, like the bridges here, but it overlooks this like quiet little pond area, and it's just very serene. And I like to find those places on a ride that when I'm in a nature-esque kind mm-hmm. of like uh, area— because it is very soothing, it's very comforting, getting away, like you said, getting away from the hustle bustle and all the craziness, and it really helps calm you a little bit. It does. You just think about things differently at that pace. I t- whenever I take walks through the park, I don't. I try. I don't usually listen to music. I don't. I like to just I do, do that. I don't listen to audiobooks or anything. And I have all these ideas when I'm walking that mm-hmm. I don't have when I'm driving. Yeah. I'm driving. Number one, I'm usually listening to the radio. Honestly, and you're just, I think in, in a different mode. But when you are just moving your feet and your body's kind of taking care of itself, like your mind mm-hmm. just routes itself a different way. I think. So well, just being able to look around and see the variety mm-hmm. of yes of trees and flowers and animals animals and people yeah there's some great people watching in the oh park oh my gosh and just yeah <laughs> yes, exactly now you have some yes, book signings is. coming up too talk talk about those yeah i will be the first one i'll mention is actually 
one of the later ones that's scheduled. But I think for people who love the park, it will be really fun. The park is having a birthday bash, 150th birthday bash for themselves on October 23rd. It's a Sunday. Going to be all day long, 11 to 4. They will have activities for kids. There's going to be live music. Mm -hmm. I will be there at a table all day long signing books. It'll just be a really a great day to be in the park. Then prior to that, I'll be giving a presentation for the county library at the Grant View branch. I believe that's right. That's on October 19th. And then before all that, I'll just be at a local, thank you, making sure I got my dates right here. I'll be at a great local maker's market called Mackland Market. You can find them online, but it's the 5800 block of Mackland Avenue in South City. And I'll be there on October Mm -hmm. 8th all day. So biggest surprise for you in writing this book? Oh, gosh, so many surprises. Okay, I think the biggest surprise to me was I saw the park as it's like a pretty place where you go seeing how everything that happens in the neighborhoods and the city and the country and the world shows up in the history of the park. Mm -hmm. I'll give you an example. During World War Two, it was very hard for the park to find maintenance workers able-bodied men who were the people who would have those jobs at that time weren't around. So the park was not in great shape. <laughs> there wasn't money. It wasn't a pri- there were other priorities right. and there wasn't an availability of people. You look at the times when we've had civil rights conflicts in St. Louis when people were demanding equal access to amenities, that shows up in the park in the superintendent's report. She writes about the number of people who requested permits to use the tennis courts or the picnic facilities or whatever, and says some of our citizens of color have asked for these same things and they were tactfully denied, basically. Mm -hmm. So when people started moving back into city neighborhoods and really took an interest in revitalization, shows up in the park, all of a sudden people are like, wait, why don't we like spruce this park up a little bit? So just seeing how like social things Mm -hmm can be reflected in a nature environment mm-hmm. was a surprise to me. Interesting. And there there has been very few what I would call park superintendents. Yeah. Which really creates I think a consistency. Absolutely. And a security. Of, yeah, of what's there was going one on. family who had three generations of superintendents of the park, something like 88 years total from the Gurney family. Was that and they passed were the, down or something? What's that? It was just passed down. Passed down. Yes. Wow. Mm. And they were the first park directors after Henry Shaw. So it went from Shaw to James Gurney Sr., who had worked with Shaw on the garden and many other projects. So he knew that man's mind and Mm -hmm. what he wanted. When Gurney Sr. died, his son took over. And when Gurney Jr. died, his daughter, Bernice Gurney, took over. Yeah, 85 years of 150 years is an extremely consistent streak. Wow, that is crazy. (laughs) Yep. Mark, you have any questions for Amanda? Who knows? <laughs> There's so much I there. know. You just keep going and going. Now, was this your idea to write the book? The park? No, although I should say it was. Yeah. The park, knowing that this 150th anniversary was coming up, they knew they wanted a commemorative book of some kind. So they actually approached Reedy Press, the publisher, to say, we'd like a book, and we're not sure what that looks like. Yeah. Uh, so from that point, I was really able to be involved with, here's why I want to do it, first of all, right. and then what the what the shape of it should be. And I will say to the park's great credit, as a writer working with a client in a way, they were very generous in terms of letting me tell the story that I saw coming out of their records. And, right. and I, there's a lot in here. It is a history, definitely. There's also a lot that's just interviews and reflections from people right now who use the park all the time because I thought that was important. That's If you're going to still be relevant, you have to make a case oh, for right. why should we have this huge piece of land with a lot of money and people devoted to it in the middle of the city. So just right. talking to people who use it for all kinds of stuff now was important to me, and they, they said, yeah, go for it. It's a little fascinating to me that this, that 
how they get funded. I would think they'd come up with other ways to fund that part. I am sure they are trying to think of every part. I can think of a few, but I don't think they go. They also, they're very committed to trying to keep as close as possible to what Shaw wanted. So I'm sure they get proposals all the time of, hey, let us have a hot air balloon festival or right. whatever. I, that sounds right. like I don't like hot air balloon. I'm sure people come to them all the time with, here's something that could make you some money, but they want to keep it. I know for a fact there are things that they have said no to because it would change the character of the park and they just they aren't willing to do that so you have to anything that's been around for 150 years you have to really give credit to people who made some tough decisions along the way absolutely so if you want to support the park because you use the park right that's a very good thing to do yep and i'm sure you could just google or yeah go to towergrovepark.org they've got a whole thing there about how to join as a member of the park and you get little park person sticker i think and yeah get some park privileges yeah get some park swag (laughs) now they have their own historical section they tower grove park or the Friends of Tower Grove Park, they have that. And then you also maybe did some work at the Historical Society or do they cross or? Gosh, there's stuff everywhere. So the park itself has actually an amazing archive. It's not very big, but they've got, they have every superintendent's report by month for the last 150 years. They're really good reading. It is. is. Some of them are just handwritten on this onion skin. The Botanical Garden actually has a lot of records as well because of the Shaw connection. Mm -hmm. Because these were very, they were twin things in Shaw's mind. So there was a lot of overlap. And then the historical society library was a great source for all kinds of stuff so much stuff that actually didn't even make it in the book but just a lot of context at the time and the people across the state who were supporting this vision and all the people who were involved with it and they have you know, we're talking about the bandstand they have the music programs from every sunday concert that has happened oh my god that people saved so you can go back and look at what was played in the park on sunday october whatever in 1892 my it's pretty fascinating that wow. is fascinating yeah. That's very And see, that's when I was like, there could be a book. About- okay, yeah. calm down, Amanda. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she didn't go down that rabbit trail. Yeah, right, right. I went for a long time and then I thought this is not going to go in the book. So I got to cut it off here. I did actually put one of the programs in the book because I, I think it's cool. But, oh, that yeah. would be cool. It is cool. Could it have been a thicker book? I bet it could have been. I'm sure it could have, but it yeah. weighs in at almost three pounds right now. So at some point, we had to, <laughs> had to, at some point, the people who ship these books to stores are like, you're done. Thanks yeah, very much. Great. Thanks so much. Folks, it's a cool book. Tower it Grove is. Park, Common Ground in Grateful Shade since 1872. And... Please check out, Amanda's going to be at these book signings, and I'm going to go backwards as she did, (laughs) Sunday, October 23rd from 11 to 4 at Tower Grove Park. That's going to be the big hullabaloo going on there. Birthday bash. Birthday bash. Where are you going to be? That is a really good question. I don't actually know, but I'm feeling like you won't be able to miss it if you come to the park that day. I have not been informed of my location yet. And I'm sure you could probably go to the website and find out. Also, she's going to be... October 19th, that's a Wednesday, from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. at St. Louis County Library Grants View Branch. That's on Music Road. And then on... No, that's brand new. Right, ac- I think that's the new library right across from Grants Farm, right there on the corner there. Right. Is that Watson Road? And Music or is Road? Is Gravo- right that's Gravois. It's Gravois. Gravois. Yeah. I beg your pardon. Yeah. It's Gravois. It's really pretty. It's a beautiful it is. branch. Yeah. It is a beautiful branch. Up, up on the hill there. It's yeah. where the Clydesdales used to hang. Is that, <laughs> yeah. is that a fact? Yeah. Is that a fact? There's I hope a I don't sh- have to fight a Clydesdale. Yeah. 
Really? they got and, big hoofs. Yeah. Saturday, October the 8th from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. at Macklin Market Festival. That's the 5800 block of Macklin in South City. So all those book signings, there's a presentation book signing at the Grants View branch and then the book signing at Tower Grove at the Big Birthday Bash on the 23rd. So here we go, October 8th, October 19th, and October 23rd. Yeah. Busy lady. Yes. I'm trying to be. <laughs> I got all this knowledge in my head. Now I have to go and spout it out. So. I know. I know. <laughs> how many? Can I ask how many books you've written so far? Uh, Do you I know, think is this a trick question? No, oh, okay. I should know, and I keep forgetting. <laughs> I think this is my ninth. ninth it could gosh. be eighth. And they're all along this kind of line, I aren't they? Not. Yes, they're, they're all, kind of a they're historical... all St. Louis or Missouri or some kind of. I just I'm in this hole and I'm digging my so way out. Do you wake up in the middle of the night and just <laughs> thinking about something, one down. of these things that you're writing? It's, it's so got to be. A... And I'm not from here. I don't know how I got so addicted, but right. I just we're glad you are. Me too. It's job security. I'm not going <laughs> to run out of things to write about. Apparently, you're doing a wonderful job with them. Yes, man. Thank you. Are. Yeah, I yes, you are. And we enjoy them very much. We hope you come back. How often? What, do you have another book in? Uh, I've got four kind of half-baked projects, so we'll see what rises out of the muck. Anything you want to share? No, Anything not yet. that really is... No, like... I want to write 10 more books about the park, but I don't know. We'll see. Wow, <laughs> volume. So many 10 volumes. Yeah. I know. Look at that. 10 but volumes. But see, like, once you tell the history, it's kind of there can't be a volume two. Like, here's the history I didn't tell you because you have to tell Yeah, it. you're but, right about that. But there's a lot of really cool stuff. I don't know. No, I'm not sure what's going to be well, next. That'd be a good name of a book, What History Didn't Tell You. Oh. That probably is a book. Doesn't that sound like a book? It sounds, it sounds like a book. Like a yeah. book. Yeah. You could do it. She'll be up at 3 o'clock this morning. <laughs> right. What did Arnold say? I like what Arnold said. <laughs> Amanda, thanks for coming in. Oh, my yeah, gosh. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. It's always me. a pleasure it. to have you. Thank you. I want to hear more, though, about, about Washington, Missouri, and how that went. Oh, book Can festival yeah. recap? Do we have yeah. time for that? Because yeah. Oh, yeah. I know a couple of people that went and it just had a wonderful time. Oh, that's so good to hear. So it yeah. was amazing. It was a huge success. So we're talking about the Washington yeah, City so of Missouri Yeah, so it's called the Missouri Book, book Festival. Book festival. Mm-hmm. It was centered around the Washington Public Library. So okay. that whole parking lot there and then several, like a few blocks all around there. Mm-hmm. There was a main stage with authors doing presentations. It was the whole thing was billed as where stories come to life. So these are people who have written books about something uh-huh. but had performance or presentation aspect to talk about the content it was super great it was hot as blazes so that was the one thing that we would all have changed right right. (laughs) but but it was amazing and there were so many people there my my biggest fear was that we i went because i was seeing the festival stage and talking about some of my books but I, we were all set up, and then I was like, oh, gosh, what if three people come? And at the beginning, three people came. And then you're like, is that it? But it was packed all yeah. day. And it Good. was just, they had a, I didn't get to see everything even, but they had some wrestling because we had a book come out about right. wrestling at the right. Chase. So there was a wrestling ring set up a couple of parking lots away with the bell and the guys, and it was crazy. Children, children were yeah. slinging insults, which is how it should be. They had a soapbox derby, which apparently they hadn't had in Washington in a couple of years. Yeah, right. Because we had a book about automotive history in St. Oh, Louis. Cool. So it was a hoot we had yeah, a really good time great. and they're yeah. going to go around the state or is that what they're next gonna... year it'll be in washington again okay and then there is talk of like maybe taking it other places taking it on the road it, we did it once and so we want to like wanna... fix all the kinks from right. the first time right. in the same place right. and then if it seems great but yeah there were people there who were like bring it to joplin bring it to kc yeah. so yeah. there was a this one of the coolest things that happened there was a group of librarians who came up from Blue Springs, is that what it's called? Yeah. The Boot Hill. Yeah. They closed their library for the day. They all had matching t-shirts and they came as like a staff, I'll like find. professional development I'll thing. Find. They're like, we want to just see what's out there and get oh, ideas cool. for how we can do cool book programming. So they wow. were, I kept seeing them everywhere because they had their matching shirts. So. And maybe this would be a great 
thing yeah. for Washington, Missouri. Yeah, yeah. I was in, I've heard from quite a few people that went that mm-hmm. had just a, a wonderful time. That's why. And I, a beautiful little city. It and is. And they have, yeah. Washington, Missouri they've got is. just a great kind of mm-hmm. built-in place for things yeah. like that. There's a really good bookstore there called Neighborhood Reads. So that was a hub for, they did most of the children's programming mm-hmm. there because she has a nice little backyard where people could read and kids could hang out in the uh, shade. It was a fun day. Well, send her wonderful. Bill. Send yeah. her a bill. <laughs> uh, shameless plug totally okay. shameless plug it's true it's a great store I, uh, every time I go in there I'm like I'm not spending money I'm well, not spending money and then <laughs> I spend a lot of money so. I hate to talk about things that have happened but it was something yeah no and missouribookfestival.com if you want to keep up for next year it will definitely be happening yeah. again and I, I think everyone who came and the authors loved it that's not something every author gets oh, a chance yeah. to do that's right, right? Uh, so that's right. it was a lot of fun just to talk you don't always know if people are reading your book but you don't really hear from them so and to interact with people is that's cool. nice to know yeah it yeah. really is because you never know. Right. I, guess, I, you never I, know. I see the numbers. Yeah. Meeting the people. Yeah, it's a big difference, it right? Is. You realize, like, oh, there are people actually listening out there. <laughs> yeah. You never know. We are glad you decided to listen to this episode of St. Louis in Tune. We know there are hundreds of thousands of podcasts out there, and we are glad that you have chosen to listen to us. St. Louis in Tune is produced in cooperation with KWRH 92.9 FM and Motif Media Group. For St. Louis in Tune, I'm Arnold Stricker.